KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. It's just a good conversation with somebody that you didn't know you were interested in. I'm Matt Leon, and this is One on One. It's serious training. It's hard. It's it's difficult. But then the moments when you know you're making a boat go really fast, or you win a race. One of the guys in our boats from 04, he always used to say, "There's no such thing as a sacrifice. It's always a choice." We all chose to be there, and it wasn't like, "Yeah, we're giving up a few things, but we're, we're getting so much more in return." guest this week is Brian Volpenheim. He is the head men's heavyweight rowing coach at the University of Pennsylvania. Been in that position since August 2019. He is also an Olympian. He's had a gold medal. Uh, Thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me on, of course. So what's the last uh, you got, I guess, about doing the math in my head about nine months under your belt of pen before everything went sideways with the pandemic? What's the you know, what's the last year and a half been like for you? Yeah, um, yeah, that's about right. It was about nine months. So it's about 11 or 12 total in my first two years. So um, it's been a lot of uh, a lot of Zoom calls, obviously, and a lot of just trying to connect the guys, you know, virtually and, and find things for them to do and, and help them find places so they can continue to stay fit and train and get better at rowing and then obviously assist them with anything they might need academically and just make sure they're they have everything they need to get by in school and and get through this last year and a half so that when we get back in full force uh with our team it we can kind of continue the momentum we had in that first year how tough has it been on the athletes just from a mental standpoint not being able to do what they're used to do i mean i would imagine you're you're less coach and maybe more mentor person to talk to over these, this last year or so. Yeah, I think it's, it depends on the, on the athlete and on the person in terms of how it's affected them. I think it's affected some harder than others. I think some of the guys have sort of embraced this time away to go explore things and and try new things and do things. Others really would prefer to be in person and, and sort of thrive in that kind of environment versus online classes and, and the uncertainty of it all, you know, I think that's the hardest part is is just not knowing when it was going to end and when it, they were going to go back to sort of, you know, whatever the new normal is going to be. Yeah. So like for me as a coach, a lot of it was just one on one conversations, you know, more often than I would probably have. Or I should say longer conversations than I would probably have. Normally, when you see them every day, you, you kind of have shorter conversations, check ins, those kinds of things. And you get to know them, you know, over the year. and you know, I was very conscious of not, not over, not wasting their time kind of or using up all of their time online or, or with Zoom calls, you know, because I figured they'd spend a lot of time in front of a screen. And so you try to have fewer talks, but make them a little bit more in depth and a little bit more uh, sort of uh, involved. So I want to talk about the sport of rowing. First of all, head coach men's heavyweight rowing for people that don't follow that leads that there's also a lightweight rowing kind of explain what the sport is all about. Yeah. So basically uh, in college rowing, it's all about eights. Uh, that's the main focus, you know, at the Olympic level, it's everything from one man, singles, doubles, quads, fours, pairs up to eights. And basically when you hear sculling versus sweep sculling is every rower has two oars sweep. Every rower has one oar. Um, we mainly do uh, sweep in college and uh, everything's sort of focused on the eight. 
Um, there is a lightweight category, which um, everyone has to average 159, I believe, throughout the boat. So you can, uh, with maybe a ceiling of 165, I think. But basically, uh, it's all about racing and, and you know, going backwards in a boat and, and seeing who can make their boat go the fastest. And it requires a lot of, uh, a lot of, pre-work i would say a lot of training a lot of fitness it's a it's a power-based endurance sport so there's a lot of lifting there's a lot of strength involved in addition to a lot of cardiovascular work and and being really really fit so it's interesting in that sense like the training is you do a lot of different things in terms of the you know it's not just rowing all the time uh, but it is a lot of rowing but uh it, but then beyond that it really comes down to boat chemistry being a good teammate and trusting each other, you know, when you're on the line and knowing that each person in that boat is going to give everything they have, you know, for the other people in the boat. And if you have that, then you, you always tend to find a little bit more speed than if you don't have that. So you grew up in Cincinnati, am I correct? Correct. Yeah. When does rowing come into your life and how do you get introduced to it? I started rowing in college. So I went to Ohio State. And I, on my visit, I did a tour with my mom, uh, like just, you know, you take a campus tour after my graduated high school. And I saw a flyer advertising the rowing team. And I thought it looked, the picture looked cool. And I thought it would be neat to try and took it off the bulletin board there and brought it home. And then, you know, fast forward to my fall quarter, uh, I was sitting around my dorm room with my roommates and one of them had had heard about the rowing team as well. And he was like, well, isn't that rowing meeting tonight? And I was like, oh, yeah, I guess we should go to that. Literally walked down the stairs in our dorm and across the street to the boathouse, uh, which was right on campus, and then uh, went to the meeting and fell in love with the atmosphere of the boathouse and just the people that were involved. You know, it's probably 120 plus people in that first meeting and then showed up the next day at practice and we didn't even row we just did you know a bunch of burpees and, and a timed run i think and i just it made ohio state be a much smaller place and i just loved the environment and i loved it and then over time just fell in love with you know learning a new skill learning a new sport i was i took to it pretty quick and so and i had the physiology for it in terms of how my body was built and, and my um my cardiovascular system, my heart, my lungs, all that stuff. And so I ended up being pretty good pretty quick. And that always helps <laughs> get, get, uh, get you hooked. And so that's kind of how I came into my life. Were you an athlete in high school and other sports? Yeah, I, I played, uh, grew up playing baseball and soccer and uh, found volleyball uh, later in my high school years. And uh, those are basically three sports I played. So you get into rowing. Could you have imagined... I mean, you took to it right away, but yeah. could you have imagined the way it would become the almost the driving force in your life from that point on? No, I had no idea. I, I literally, I, um, I just loved getting in the boats and, and giving me something to do during the day. And it was, a uh, the physical exertion of it was, was what I really liked, like going out, going down to the boathouse and working really hard. You know, it was good for me at that time of my life. From there, I think I just after my junior year, I just kind of like started to notice that my ERG scores, which is the rowing machine, I think most people are familiar with them now, started to be pretty competitive. Because I, I, back then, it, nothing was online. So it was like I would get a, a printed out sheet of all the top scores in the country that, that U.S. rowing would send out. And I realized that I was like right in the mix in the top 10. And so I started doing 
submitting my own scores, I had no idea that it would take me this far. I, basically, the story is I, I submitted an ERG score because it was a post-Olympic year in 96, 97. Uh, everyone had retired. <laughs> so I happened to be eighth in the country that that particular submission. And uh, within like a couple of weeks, I got this huge box of Nike gear delivered to my college apartment. And I was like, wow, this is how it's going to be. I'm just going to keep doing it. And uh, I kind of got hooked. Uh, just from the idea of it, I made my first team in 90. I learned to row in 94, made my first national team in 98, went to three Olympics after that. And um, have, it's been a part of my life ever since. So taking were, me places I never thought I would go. Were there ever moments? I mean, that is in. I was shocked when you told me you didn't start rowing until college because for the success you've had, that seems very, that's amazing to me that it's that late. Did it feel natural to you, that progression? I mean, you mentioned sending those scores in and, whoa, I'm, I'm in the top eight or whatever. Did you ever have moments where you took a step back and go, this is incredible. I can't believe this is happening. Or was it just, you know, good at it, these scores. They say do this. Oh, look, the Nike gear. Now I can get the chance to try out for this. Made this team, like, just kind of dominoes. Yeah, in the beginning, it was just, I just was kind of going through, you know, the steps that I thought I was supposed to take and, and you know, the process that I was involved in making the teams and submitting my scores. And then once I started to, it, it became more real when I would go to these um, identification camps and um, under 23 camps. And then there you're, you're, you know, a part of a group of 60 plus guys and everyone's good. And they come from all over the country and, and um, did well on my first camp there. That's when I started to realize that this could be a legit path for me. I did take a lot of step steps away and just was like, man, this, this is um, a rare thing. And I have to uh, enjoy every moment of it and, you know, make the most of it because opportunities like this don't really come along that often in people's lives. Is men's eight the focus throughout this? Yeah. Yeah. I would say yes. The men's eight typically in America is, is the event that everybody follows. Everybody wants to win. And that's sort of historically what we've been good at. We also, we rode the pair and the four. Uh, from time to time and, and raced different events in those different competitions in those events. Um, but everything came back to the eight. What's it like the national team experience training for the Olympics? I mean, not even when you're at the games, but just being at that elite level and training at that elite level. How, what's it like? It can be pretty boring, actually, to be honest. It's a lot of the same stuff you're training two times a day, mostly there, there are, you know, stints when you're doing three a days, um, but mostly twice a day and um, not a lot of time for other stuff. That is actually, I mean, that's the fun part, right? Is that you're, you're hanging out with the same guys all the time. You're, you're, you're creating this like lifelong bond just from going through the ups and downs of that. And it's serious training. It's hard. It's, it's difficult. It's exhausting at times, but then the moments when, you know, you're making a Boca really fast or you win a race and you make the team and, you know, you have these moments where you get, you feel like a, like a legit pro athlete, those things uh, far outweigh the negative and, uh, or the hardships of, you know, the training and all that kind of thing. Uh, one of the guys in our boats from 04, he always used to say, there's, there's no such thing as a sacrifice. It's always a choice. That always stuck with us because we all chose to be there and it wasn't like, yeah, we're giving up a few things, but we're, we're getting so much more in return. So as you're pursuing 
an Olympic dream, you know, leading up. Your first games was 2000, correct? Yeah. Yeah. What is the lead up to that like? Are you excited? Not to the game, but to qualifying for the games. Are you excited? Are you nervous? Are you anxious? Are you all of these things depending on the day? Are you just confident? Or are you just concentrating on the rowing and going as fast as you can? Uh, it It's all of those things, uh, sometimes all at once. Sometimes, uh, you know, y- you feel those things individually. Um, from And it changes as, you, as your career changes, as you get older. Um, you know, I think early on in that, for my first Olympics, it was all excitement and not a lot of anxiety and just very happy to be there and just working my butt off to try to keep up with all the great guys around me and just excited by the whole thing. And then, you know, as you, you know, we, we didn't do so well in Sydney. We, we got fifth when we were kind of the favorite crew, favorite crew. Uh, and so focus kind of changes after that. I, I was going to return. I knew I was going to return for the 04 Olympics. Then it, it, the pressure, like you put a little bit more pressure on yourself because it's, you know, it's your second time around. You feel like you're, you might not get a third chance. And so a little bit more of that anxiety comes in a little bit more of the pressure you feel you're, you're older athlete. So, you know, you've been through it. You kind of know the ups and downs and, and all the things you have to do. And you know, all the things that can go wrong and you know, all the things that can go right. And you're more aware of that stuff. And so I think those other emotions are more uh, pre- prevalent. You feel it all. And I think that's part of being an athlete. You have to be able to cope cope with those things and handle those emotions and those ups and downs. And that's, what's great about the rowing is, is everyone is kind is, you know, in the same boat as they say. So, uh, and, and, and any team really, but it's different with rowing because it's no, it's, you're all doing exactly the same thing at exactly the same time. And so there's a, there's a slightly different kind of bond or a teammate feel to it. And so that, I think that tends to help. 2000, that first Olympics, I mean, obviously you talk about being disappointed finishing fifth, but what is the experience like, like the opening ceremonies, first time you walk out there and you're representing your country? I can't, I don't even know if I could get my head around what that must feel like. Yeah, I I was very lucky um, in Sydney because that was the only Olympics I got to go to the opening ceremonies. Uh, The other ones we chose not to attend because the first race is like two days after. It's a, it's a long day. You're, you know, it's very exciting. Like the whole village is into it. Everybody's out in their opening ceremonies gear. Everybody's talking. They're all having a great time. The excitement is real. And, but then you wait in line a lot. <laughs> you're standing around a lot, but that's also an amazing time because you get to meet all these athletes from all these different sports. And um, it's, it's pretty incredible. I mean, when you finally get to the stadium, the, one of the cool things about the United States is that we go in at the end because it's alphabetical. So the the place is just filled. By the time we get in there, all the athletes are in there. They're in the infield and crowd is going berserk. You literally, I could, we were underneath the stadium and you could put your hand on the walls, feel the vibrations, how loud it was. It was really neat. And uh, it's just, I mean, I was walking in with Kevin Garnett in 2000, you know, and he's like, standing, you know, head and shoulders or whatever else, but he's still holding a video camera way above his head, getting it, taking it all in. And that was so cool because it's like, he's like, you know, famous NBA star. And like, you know, he's one of the most famous athletes in the world. And like, he's still just as excited by the opening ceremonies as everybody else. And he was taking it all in the same way as everybody else. That so, was, that was kind of my cool. next, 
my next question was, do you remember the first person you went wide eyed? Cause oh my god, there's was it Kevin Garnett or were there a couple other people at that first Olympics? Like, oh, I can't believe so and so is here. I'm standing next to so and so in the lunch line. Like, were there any moments like that? Uh, I think it was those guys. It was the basketball team was there at the opening ceremonies and I got to walk in kind of next to those guys. And it wasn't, I just by chance kind of drifted away from our team. And then I look around and I'm standing in the middle of all those guys. And it was, that was probably the first moment. The other story I have from that is, um, do you remember Roland Gardner, the wrestler? Yes. Yes. So he beat the uh, Russian that had been dominant for so many years. And I didn't know who he was. I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know anything. And I, um, was just on the bus one time and I sat down next to him and started chatting him up and he started telling me, you know, what he does and, you know, who about himself. And then he basically laid out the exact strategy he needed to do to win. So then, and I just thought he was a cool dude. And I was like, I'll come watch you. And it was the second week. And I went and watched that wrestling match and he literally did exactly what he told me he needed to do. And then he won. And that was a pretty amazing moment is seeing that, seeing him win that event and, and beat the Russian there. That was really cool. What is it like? Does it, does it, the Olympics change you not just from a competitive standpoint, but you're just, your eyes are open to so many different types of athletes, so many people, so many different cultures and to hang out in the village as much. I don't know how much you were able to, but just does it, does it just open you up? to, to everything around you? I think so. I think it gives, it definitely gave me a wider perspective of the world and what, you know, people who are trying to do the same thing that I was doing, you know, not, you know, make the Olympic team, not just in rowing. It, it gives you a really good perspective on how hard it is for some athletes. And yet they still overcome all of that and make the Olympic team and, and perform at a high level. And it also gives you a perspective of how lucky you are uh, you know, to be, to live in America and, you know, have the things you have and be, be very fortunate to be able to do the things you're able to do. And so you, you, it's the, the sport of it and the Olympic sports and the, and the ideals of all that kind of is the thread that's comes through all the different athletes in the village and everybody you meet. And it's a, it's a very unique link that you have with all these athletes it, it's um, it's hard to describe. Like it's like an understanding that you have and a respect that you have when you when you see what people have to go through and what they are able to do to get to where they are. One of the things about Olympic competition, and another thing, I don't know that I can get my mind around it not being an an athlete. Period. Let alone an elite one. But it's a four year mountain you're climbing to get to the Olympics. You perform. Whatever happens, happens. And then it's over and you talk about, I think, I know I'm going to try go, you know, Oh, four is in the picture, but what is it like when it's over and you're at the bottom of the mountain again? And I mean, not that you're starting from scratch, but you got to, that four year climb is starting over. What's the emotion like in the aftermath of the Olympic games, when you know how much training and all you've got ahead of you before it happens again? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, because it is a, that is a hard thing that, that people you have to, to deal with and you have to sort of face. And it's real. Like a lot of people go through um, some really hard times and, and dealing with depression and, and just sort of 
man, like having to, the emotions of not having the thing that you did for four years and the thing that you loved for four years, not have that be in your life all of a sudden. Um, it's, it's tough. Uh, for me, like what was interesting is, um, after 2000, when we, we didn't perform as well, you know, you, I took three or four months off and I just sort of reflected on what I wanted to do next. And I knew I was eventually going to come back, but I just went and saw friends, friends and family and, and hung out and, and enjoyed sort of being an Olympian, you know, and I remember sleeping on a friend's couch in LA uh, after that, like fairly relatively soon after the Olympics, you know, I was like feeling bad for myself. And, you know, I was like, we just lost. It was like been such a bummer. Like, God, we're just terrible. It's like, you're really down. Right. And I'm telling all, all this to the, uh, one of his buddies and he, his buddy just stopped me mid sentence. He's like, would you just shut, shut up? He's like, <laughs> you just got back from the Olympics. Yeah. You got fifth and you didn't do as well as your heart, but I, you know, I sit in an office all day. My life is terrible. <laughs> He's like, you get to do something amazing. And like, just the fact that he was able to say that to me and like, it sort of shook me out of it. That has, that is, that has guided me through all the sort of ups and downs of like, when you think it's really hard. Um, now fast forward to after Athens, when we win, you're like riding a high for the next whole year, almost. And you like think you're going to keep you're going to keep going and keep going and training at that level. And I did that for the next year, 2005, uh, and went to the world championships and we won a gold there, too. But then almost immediately after that, like you kind of get burned out and exhausted. And then so I took a year off in 06 and then came back in 07. And um, you really do have to be very aware of the physical toll it takes and the emotional toll it takes of, of being under that, the four years of that pressure and the build up to that. And then the, the cliff that you kind of go off of. And as long as you allow yourself space to kind of reset and adjust, it, it becomes much easier to, to start climbing that next mountain. How much does the fifth place finish? Is it driving you leading up to 08? kind of once you really get into rhythm, is it a rallying point for the team or is it in the past and we're not worried about that? For 04, it definitely was. It was, um, there were three of us that had returned and were in the boat in 04 that were in the boat in 2000. And there was definitely a, an underlying motivation of we're not going to let that happen to us again and we're not going to make those same mistakes. Going into 08, it's, it's sort of more in the background, but it's also there of like, you, you know, you, you can't get complacent. You can't just rest on, you know, we want an 04, we're going to be good in 08. It's like, you remember, Oh, 2000, how quickly it can get snatched away from you. And so it kind of keeps you on your toes. If you remember those things, um, you know, I think that's one, one thing that athletes, a lot of elite athletes fall victim to is forgetting how hard they worked after they win, because, there's a lot of hard work that you put into it and a lot of tough days that you go through. And when you win, you forget about all those. You only remember the good times. And I think it's important to remember all the hard, hard times you go through too. You mentioned mistakes in 2000. Were there, were there things you guys looked at that happened that were the main reasons for finishing fifth, or was it a series of little things and maybe in each race, you know, the timing's off here, something happened here, uh, or was there just something to look back on and go, yeah, we, you know, we just didn't perform like we were capable of. Uh, it's, it was sort of, in, in 2000, it was kind of like a, 
would say it was one thing. Um, we had won the previous three world championships and in 98, 99, it was the same exact crew, same nine people. And that, which is rare in, in rowing. I think it's only happened a, a handful of times. And that like breaking up that boat, there was only one guy different. The four had not qualified. And so they took one of the guys from R8 to put him in the four so that that boat could qualify for the Olympics. But once that happened, he couldn't be taken out of the four and put back into the eight. And so that broke up our chemistry. And the guy they put in was really good and really strong. It just wasn't the same. You kind of knew it, you know, as you're preparing that it's just not the same boat. And so I think that sort of put a little, a few sort of cracks in our confidence in our trust level. And so, you know, when push comes to shove at that level, you know, that's the difference really. Not, not so much how you row, not so much, you know, you can, you can make a couple mistakes rowing wise, but if you, if you have that kind of trust and confidence, but if you don't and you make a couple mistakes, then it, it really shows. So leading up to 04, which was Athens, correct? Yep. Where are you guys confident that if you do what you're supposed to do, the gold medal is yours? Do you feel like you guys, I don't know if overachieves the word, but exceeded? How good you do? How would you, I mean, obviously you got the gold medal. You did great. But was that, you know, realistically, were you going in there going, that's our medal to lose? No, I think at that point we, you know, we had been getting better every year. Like each year between 2000, 2004, we went, you know, from, fifth fourth third second and then won you know at the world championships and then won the the golden um athens and i would say that it wasn't i wouldn't say we overachieved but i say i would say that we we weren't totally confident that we weren't the favorite and we weren't completely confident until the week of racing you know i think because we had never raced that lineup internationally and that was the first time i had been in the stroke seat of an eight you know, an elite level. I had stroked a pair and a four at international competitions, but we were very confident in ourselves. And we had that chemistry where it was a very loose boat. Like we all trusted each other. We all got along and we gave each other the space to kind of be ourselves. And it was like, uh, we, we felt like we could weather any ups and downs um, together. And that is what gave us the confidence. And then I would say there was a lot of nerves for me, especially uh, before the heat before our first race in Athens. And then we went out and um, had a, had a good race in very fast conditions and set the world record and beat the reigning world champions. And I think from that point on that, uh, then I think we knew it was our race to lose. And if we just executed what we could do um, and what we were capable of doing, we, we had a really good shot at winning. And just real quick, once again, for people that are listening, that might not be familiar, you mentioned the stroke seat kind of explain. Yeah. So everybody kind of, probably knows the coxswain he's the guy that sits there and steers and makes the calls has the headset on the megaphone i sit the stroke seat sits right in front of him and my job is to set the rhythm and set the pace and communicate with the coxswain um sort of what i'm feeling in terms of the rowing and then it from from me it just goes on the eight seat so the stroke seat's eight seat then it goes seven six five four three two one and bow um every seat kind of has a role so to speak but Basically, you have smaller guys at the ends of the boats and bigger, stronger guys in the middle. And they call the middle four seats the engine room. So Athens, going for the gold, what is it like the moment you realize you win it? And is it 
you win a race and you're the gold medal champions? Did you have to wait for another race for heats? How does, you know, explain how it broke down? Um, so, no, you win the final, you win the gold. So, you know, right away, we had a strategy. Um, we knew we had a very fast second half of the race or, or last third of the race, that that was our strength. And so our thought was that all the other countries are going to try to go out hard at the beginning of the race and, and get, get a margin on us to see if they could hold us off. And so we went in with that strategy of like, okay, if we can just stay within a relative striking distance of the field, then we're, we have a good shot at winning. And it turned out that we had a really great first 500, a really great start. So the first quarter of the race for us was as fast as we've gone and we had the lead. And so that was an unexpected place to be. And our, you know, that our coxswain sort of looked around and saw we were in the lead. And then he adjusted the race plan, made a call to make a, an attack at, you know, 600 meters into the race. And from that point, to let's say a little over halfway, we, we put on a length in a little bit on the field, which is about four seconds, which is a lot in rowing. And, uh, at halfway, I, I kind of, you knew that we were going to win if we didn't mess things up, which is exciting, but also terrifying because there's a lot of race left. <laughs> that that was be my next question. Like that's gotta be where the only person that can beat us is us right now. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a little, I thought that I'd outpaced it. I was like, Oh my God, I've gone out too hard. We're going to die, but we didn't. And, 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 it was just a really good race. And so, and the advantage you have in rowing is now you can see everybody because they're all, you're facing them now. And so that made it much easier to defend uh, any attacks that other countries might have. And there was one point in the final quarter, in the last 500, where I wanted to win by more. So I called to our coxswain to make a move to try to go faster and get open water, which is more than a length. And he called it. And within two strokes, I could tell that the crew was like, uh-uh, <laughs> nope, no mistakes, big man. And, just, and then we just, and I was like, went back to our normal pace and we just finished the, we finished the race and held off the uh, Dutch who were, who were coming pretty hard at the end. That moment when you cross the finish line and you've just won gold, what's it, I mean, and you're exhausted, but what is it like? Yeah. When you win a race like that, like any fatigue goes right out the window and uh, you're just, I mean, the coxswain jumped in my arm. You're like yelling and screaming. Like I stood up and started like pointing to all the guys in my boat. And like, you basically just want to go walk up and down the boat and like hug everybody. But obviously you can't. Um, so it's just like, you're stuck in this boat and like all the crowds around you are going crazy. And it's just, it's amazing. And then you kind of row around and uh, you know, you do a little tour of the stands, which is a lot of fun. And uh, my brother jumped in and swam out to us and brought us a flag. And then we kind of waved that flag back and forth in front of the stands. Um, and then it's just very surreal when you get to the awards dock, because you know, you don't, you don't often get to that dock. It's a kind of like a, a sacred space in rowing is that, that metals dock. Um, you see it every day when you practice, you just row by it every day, but very rarely do you get to land there and actually get a medal. So, it's surreal. You get off and you, you see the rings everywhere on the, on the dock, you see the flags, you see people and it's just chaos, kind of everybody running around and, and then all the officials trying to um, keep you from going into the stands. And it's pretty amazing. You know, I, I don't remember a lot of how I felt 
at that at that time but I, I remember like when we were getting our medals it just was this sort of overwhelming sense of contentment like i had accomplished what i had set out to do and um it it wasn't a big high of emotion it was just sort of like a relief almost um of sort of eight years of work what's it like when you get back to the states you know it wasn't it wasn't too crazy you know it's like you're it's still rowing so it's like it's not a big fanfare uh when you get back uh I, I went to my grandparents house and showed them the medal and hung out for a bit and then i just uh i slept for as long as possible <laughs> yeah time for a break on 101 we will have more with brian volpenheim right after this when someone at kyw news radio goes out to cover a story there's a lot that just doesn't make it on the radio i cannot believe this is going on in a world of lazy arguments it's one of the laziest i'm jay scott smith and I talk to my colleagues about everything you didn't get to hear on the air on the podcast, The Rundown, from KYW News Radio. Listen free on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. And we are back, continuing our conversation on one-on-one with Brian Volpenheim. He is the head coach of the heavyweight men's rowing team at the University of Pennsylvania. Did you go in, so then you, again, go to the Olympics in 2008. Are you thinking that's it? Like, are you, is your plan, this will be the last Olympics that I'm going to compete in, or were you not worried about a decision until after the game with games with regards to that? I kind of knew, I think by that point, I'm 32 and haven't had a real job. And, you know, I'm just like, I got to start thinking about other things to do. You kind of know a little bit, but it wasn't something I thought about all the time, you know, because the reality is I could have gone for another one. Probably. I was just sort of focused on that Olympics. And then I would, I was going to make the decision, you know, probably shortly after that, but I hadn't really weighed it too heavily in my own head. Bronze medal in those 2008 games. Um, is that after you've won gold, is that disappointing? It's still an incredible accomplishment. It's a, you know, a medal at an Olympic games, but you had gold before where, where were you with regards to satisfaction with that medal? I was actually very happy with that, to be honest. I think, you know, it, it, when you cross the finish line, you're, you're a little bit disappointed, but then you very quickly realize how special it is. And, you know, I turned around to the guys in the boat and, you know, basically told them that we, this is a great, we did a great job. It's a great result. Hell of a race. We should all be very happy because it was a very close race. And we gave up a lot in the first quarter of that race and came back at the end and almost got silver. Very close between us and Great Britain for silver. So like that was exciting and it was a younger crew and it was a little bit of a newer combination. So, and we, and we weren't as good, I don't think as the Oh four crew in terms of how easy the rowing was and, and, the, and um, how fast, how easily we could get speed in the boat. Like we had to work a little bit harder for the speed. So the fact that we raced that way and finished with the bronze, I was, I was very happy. So you talk about 32 need to get a real job. Do you, figure on coaching being a part of the puzzle or how do you get into the coaching world? I hadn't thought about coaching. Actually, I was, um, I was driving after 08 pretty shortly after I had been living in Seattle for a few years before that. And, uh, I was driving to Seattle to get a job in a restaurant. I was trying to, uh, I had gone to culinary school and worked in a few restaurants out there and I was heading back to do that. And, uh, that was my plan. I was going to, work in restaurants and then eventually start one or find my pathway there. And, uh, I got a call from the, uh, who is, he's now the head coach at university of Washington. 
who said that there's a rowing club out there that's hiring for a high performance coach. And then he thought that I should apply. So I um, called them and set up an interview and drove straight to their boathouse and uh, met with them. And they offered me the job and I, I took it. And uh, I was, it was like the Pocock Rowing Center. It was a, the club. They have juniors all the way up to masters and elite rowers. From there, like I had a small group of lightweight guys that ended up making the team you know, for the next few years leading into London. And then I got the job coaching the lightweight four in the London Olympics. That was kind of my pathway in coaching. I tried to work in restaurants and coach for a year and a half or so. And that's those schedules don't mix well. <laughs> so I eventually had to, had to call it quits in the kitchen, but that was a lot of fun though while it lasted. Does coaching, did you feel like it came naturally to you or was there a transition where you had to kind of adjust to be in the person in charge and not the person doing the thing. Yeah. I mean, I'm still learning about coaching. Like it's, I feel like I'm still early in my career and I still have a lot to learn. I do think there was a, a lot of learning opportunities or bumps in the road, so to speak uh, with being an athlete so close to when I started coaching and then sort of being close in age and close in experience to what the guys I was coaching were doing. Um, so I think that made it the transition a little bit tricky at times where like, I just wanted still wanted to be like an athlete and do what they were doing and, and, you know, and kind of like be buddies and be one of the, one of the boys kind of, and uh, you can't do that as a coach. And so that's, that's, was probably the hardest transition. I think the advantage was, is that I was very fresh off of knowing what it felt like in a boat. So that was easy to convey to the athletes of what it's, what they should be sort of aiming for uh, in, inside the boat. And I think it's kind of flipped as I get older where I'm further away from my competitive career. So, you know, try uh, my challenge now is staying in touch with how it felt in the boat and what it felt like to be an athlete at that level. Uh, but now it's also easier because I'm much older than the guys to, to create that sort of uh, off the water separation. One of the things I like to ask when you talk to coaches who are elite players or athletes in their sport, is it difficult as a coach, things that maybe came natural to you or you didn't have any problems with, understanding why athlete X, why can't you do that? Like, I've been doing that since I was 20. Like, just do it. Like, was that a hard hurdle to cross as a coach, kind of understanding that everybody's different and it came easy to me doesn't mean it's going to come easy to to this person? I think, um, yeah, I think it does. It is hard. Um, and I think it's, I think for me, the harder part is the physical side of it. Cause I think for me, uh, my, I was very lucky and I was, uh, I had gifted physical capabilities in terms of what I could do, uh, fitness wise and rowing wise. And that's the hard, the hard part is when people that have to work much harder than I did to achieve similar results. Um, that's where I got to like take a step back and, and realize that for some people, the sport is much harder than it was for me. And I uh, have to give them, you know, the time and space to sort of learn all that and, and get there on their own, their own time. Um, I think the, the rowing side of it, I've always been kind of like a, a thinker about it and trying to understand the sport and the stroke. And so like in my own head, and, you know, when I was talking to my teammates, when I was rowing, there was always a lot of rowing discussion about how to move boats, like what works, what doesn't work. And so that part was a bit easier where, you know, I, 
I could talk about rowing all day if you, if you know, you get the right person. And so if I have athletes that want to talk rowing, we can talk rowing. I think it's the, um, when the, when the physical gains aren't as fast, that's where I have to take a step back and, and remember to be patient. So you take the, in 2012, you're the coach of the men's lightweight four at the Olympics. Mm -hmm. Am I correct? What is the, how does it feel going to the Olympics as a competitor, as opposed to being a coach in a way, is it more satisfying? Is it a different satisfaction because it's a different trail? Yeah, I was, um, always way I'm always way more nervous as a coach than when I was an athlete because you you as soon as you shove them off the dock you have zero control of what happens like there's no timeouts and you can't make halftime adjustments and all that kind of stuff so and you and you can't really talk to them right there so there's no communication so it's like you just got to hope that you taught them what they need to know and they're going to go out and do it and so that's the that's the nerve-wracking part for me um as an athlete, you had the control, like it was in your hands. Right. And so that, that's the biggest difference. So I think it's, um, you know, and then there's, you know, I don't know if you've seen a rowing race, but, um, the, the most of the rowing races, there's a, nowadays there's a pathway that mm -hmm. runs a bike path and that's just filled with all the coaches and the egos and like the tension that's on that bike path is, is pretty entertaining actually and uh so that's so you're dealing with all that trying to watch your crew and at the same time internally being the most anxious and stressed you've ever been how much though did having the olympic experience help you as a coach just getting everybody to understand you know the ones who i don't know if the whole boat was new to the olympic experience but what to expect what this is all about i think that that helped a lot actually and i think it even if even if I didn't have the answers or I didn't know exactly, they trusted that I did and they trusted that I would go find it. And they trusted that everything would kind of be okay. If I said it was going to be okay. You know, I, I think that the advantage be, with that is that you, you can, you can kind of know, like I knew what was important, what wasn't important to worry about and uh, as an athlete. And so I could convey that to them. And I think, I, I hope that helped. So what is the road that eventually brings you to Penn in 2019? I coached the heavyweight team through the Rio Olympics, and then I coached them as an assistant in 2017. And my wife got a job coaching at the University of San Diego, so we moved to San Diego. I was stay-at-home dad for a year or two, and then, and then I got a job coaching a high school club out there. It was a lot of fun doing that. And the pen job came open while I was doing that. Somebody contacted me and asked me to apply. And so I did. And felt I, when I got here on campus, this first time I've ever been to campus actually was on my interview and uh, just loved it. Loved the city, loved the campus, loved the people that I met with and interviewed with. And uh, so, and it's also, we have good friends that live in Philly. Uh, it's cl very close to my wife's uh, family. And so you know, with two little kids, it made a lot of sense to come back closer to family and friends. And it was a good opportunity. And Philadelphia, the, the rowing community in Philadelphia is strong. Like if this is a, yeah. a, a special community you get the chance to plug into. Yeah. You, it has a reputation for being a little gruff at times. And a Philadelphia, an something Philadelphia, a little <laughs> yeah. gruff, huh? <laughs> yeah. It's weird. Right. Uh, <laughs> so on the water, you, you hear all these stories as a rower of like, all oh, these people yelling at each other and like, you know, it's just like, it's intense on the water, but I've had the exact opposite experience. It's been like 
the best place to row that I've been. And uh, so much fun out there. And it is, it's such a unique experience because nowhere else in the world is there a boathouse row in a place where there's just so many levels of rowing in a compact space and that know each other so well and see each other all the time. And like you run into people all the time on, on the row. And like when you're on the water, it's like you're, you're in the city, but it's like so close to uh, such a natural escape. And you're just out there and it's quiet and it's peaceful. And it's like, it's awesome. It's got the his. I, I, I love the history of it too. You know, just like all the rowers that have come through here and the history of like pen rowing, the history of, uh, you know, the Kellys and, and all of that stuff is just an amazing, you know, thing to be a part of. And, and, you know, and what I hope to contribute to for a long time. Do you ever think back to that freshman year in college? And if maybe your roommate doesn't bring up that rowing meeting is tonight, I, you probably, you very well may have yeah. made your way eventually, but you know, there are always moments in our lives where we look and go, oh, that was kind of, I didn't realize it at the time, but that was quite a moment or quite a fork in the road. Do you ever think back to that? Oh yeah, definitely. All the time. I think if I missed that meeting and not started rowing in college, I'm pretty certain I would have failed out of, of college and, you know, got a job working somewhere in Ohio in, in my hometown, basically. And I wouldn't have seen the things I've seen and been able to do the things I've been able to do. I feel very fortunate to, that I you know, was able to get off my butt and walk down to that, to that meeting. And you've been, you know, all these Olympic games all over the world. Do you have a, regardless of the outcome of the race, but is there a favorite place you've been that just being there took your breath away? Lucerne, Switzerland. I think is, is one of those places it's, you know, sort of the Mecca of, of elite rowing, uh, just in, in terms of like where you row, you're right in the middle of the mountains and it's a beautiful town and it's just a wonderful place. You know, I think I, I really like the city of Amsterdam. Like if I could choose any city to live in, I think Amsterdam would be an amazing place. You know, it's just, the people are amazing. The food's good. You know, the canals, everything's beautiful there. And, uh, it's just like a great museums, great art. It's just a really fun city to live in. And I've spent some time there. It's, it was great. Brian Volvenine, thanks so much for the time. This was a lot of fun. Hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I did. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. And that will do it for this week's episode. Want to thank Brian Volpenheim, the head coach of the heavyweight men's rowing team at the University of Pennsylvania for being our guest this week. Now, if you like this show, if you listen on Apple Podcasts and you want to help us out, leave us a rating and a review. Now, you can follow the show on Twitter at one on one pod. You can follow me on Twitter as well at Matt Leon 1060. Thanks so much for listening and be sure to check us out again next week when we bring you another conversation with someone you should know more about.